You want to make mom smile this Mother's Day? You can start Mother's Day with flowers or surprise her with gifts from the brands she loves delivered the very same day with DoorDash. Wow, that's a great idea. Moms are such a gift to us and we should treat them the same way with gifts, especially on Mother's Day. I didn't know DoorDash was doing that. That's exceptional. If your mom has a sweet tooth or if she's a tech enthusiast, beauty connoisseur, if she's outdoorsy, no matter what she's into, you can make her smile with a fruit or flower bouquet, makeup, tech gear, workout wear, and more, all deliverable through DoorDash. Get all your Mother's Day gifts all in one place and get 50% off your next order up to $15 when you spend $15 or more on your next flower, convenience, grocery, or retail order now with code THEO. That's T-H-E-O. Order using DoorDash today. Terms apply. Today's episode is brought to you by Liquid Death. You know, it's good. What's up, guys? I want to let you know uh, that I will be touring in St. Louis. We've added a show. Cincinnati, Charlotte, Durham. We've added a show. Chattanooga, Knoxville, Wilmington, Wilkes, Barre, Minneapolis, Charleston, Richmond, Baltimore, Albany, we've added a show, Buffalo, New York, and Columbus, Ohio. Columbus, we will be adding a show if we haven't already. Theovon.com slash tour. The only place to get tickets. All other sites, uh, they're going to jack up the prices. So go to the links through Theovon.com slash tour. And thank you uh, for supporting me and my dream. Recently, I've undergone uh, ketamine therapy. And um, I wanted to speak with someone uh, who is an expert in that field and uh, to learn more about my experience and learn more about the therapy overall. Uh, today's guest is the founder and the medical director at the Chattanooga Ketamine Center. It is Dr. Jason Pooler. Dr. Jason Pooler, thanks for being in here today, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. And so you're you're a doctor of well, I'm a I'm an MD, so okay. I'm, I'm a physician. Okay. <clears throat> um and I'm And a physician is what? Just a doctor? Uh a medical doctor. Like you go to four years of medical school after college and uh Okay. That's sort so of not like, like Dr. Dre. That's not a no, that's a regular no, that's it's, like a it's like the um in the United States, you know, the MD is sort of the what people think of when they think of physician. Those are, you know, that's the standard process. You go to medical school. Okay. Then you usually do a residency to sort of subspecialize into a different area of training. Okay. And, um, and then you go to work. And so these days you're working in ketamine. How did you get working in ketamine therapy? And like, where are you at with it right now? Like, are you actually practicing it? Or are you running a practice that provides um, the therapy to people? So both. Um, okay. I was, it's, it's kind of one of those um, long routes to get back to where you started. And I, I originally trained as a general surgeon um, a long time ago. 
And then I went into anesthesia and I did that for about a decade. And ketamine therapy <clears throat> sort of became um, more studied as a result of its use in anesthesia and um, because it's an anesthesia medication. But it had some interesting side effects that they, they looked at over time that, that they couldn't explain. And that research is what has brought us to ketamine therapy today in the use of treatment-resistant um, depression and other, you know, um, mental health problems. What exactly is it used to treat the, the therapy? So <clears throat> you can use it to treat a lot of different things. It, it depends on what you're doing with it. The way it is used most often is to help people who have had a lot of problems with depression, who have failed uh, a lot of other therapeutic approaches. And so, so what ketamine offers is a new tool to help people who are still suffering tremendously kind of springboard back onto the road of life. And, and um, it is, it's really interesting that the way it works, it doesn't work like normal antidepressant medicines. It has nothing in common with them. Um, the, the way... It's almost a new technology then, I guess, in approaching treating depression. So the, the, the easiest way to describe it is why they started studying it to begin with. Okay. And that was back almost 20 years ago. Oh, dang. They, they realized that when they gave ketamine to patients getting operations, they required less narcotic pain medicine um, during the operation in the hospital and after the hospital stay. Uh, than, than other patients. And they said, well, why is this? this just doesn't, you know, why are they having less pain? They had no explanation. So they, they looked at it and what they discovered was that what it does is it changes your perception of pain. So you can see something that you've experienced as less painful. Hence, you don't need as much medication to cover your pain uh, i see so you're not feeling as much pain because you're not seeing it you're not seeing the seed of whatever it was as as painful so therefore like the growth of the pain isn't as severe at at that time uh, uh the way the best way i like describe it to people is yeah i have two daughters and and say we go get flu shots and one daughter gets a flu shot and she's like ow and my other daughter she gets a flu shot and she's like ah! and her response is much more okay we know that the, the shot is the same, but the response is different. So one is perceiving something with more distress than the other. And the way ketamine works is it helps your pain sort of shift from that, that more visceral response to a more that hurt, but I'm okay response. Okay. It's, a pers it, it like, it's like changing the lens on how you see pain. So that you can see things and you can kind of look at them from a distance and sort of go around things that have happened to you. And you can kind of connect to yourself from those places. And it, it's, a, it's, it's, it's not spiritual, but it's not far from it. Right. Do you feel like it gives you like a look at yourself? Like you kind of see yourself? Whereas a lot of us have a tough time seeing ourselves because we're in ourselves, you know? Exactly. Yes, 100%. Because it's like if you're on the playing field 
you can't really see what's going on and it sort of puts you up in the stands mm. of your life that's and, interesting and you have a lot of places in your past or a lot of patients that have come to me is you know you, you're living your life and life's hard and people get hurt and depending on where they are in their life they sort of package that up and they put it away because they don't want to feel that anymore but it doesn't really go away and so those those let's call them firewalls um they're no-go places in your brain but they're still sort of resonating through your existence so they're shaping typically your relationships and your career right and that's like that that uh what is that movie, um, Kung Fu Panda? You know, oh, I was thinking of uh, Master Ugwe and his. Uh, um, no, what was we I often find of? our destiny by trying to avoid it. Oh yeah, interesting. Yeah, I was thinking of that movie where that boat gets stuck in Boston. You know what I'm talking about where they go fishing. You know what I'm talking about? Huh. And there's all the storm, perfect storm. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. That didn't have a good ending though. Um. Yeah, it didn't. But um. So I see what you're saying. So yeah, it kind of gives you an experience to step outside of yourself. So were you able to see that whenever you was working in anesthesia, were you able to see people having that experience? Like were you able to visually see that or were you not able to grasp kind of the concept of it, uh, of, of exactly that until uh, I'm guessing later, which we haven't discussed yet, until you got into actually experiencing uh, using ketamine? When I, was, when I was practicing anesthesia, um I used you're that hitman anesthesia guys that hitman yeah. that rolls in there. Yeah, That's so, the guy. A lot of people, some people don't even need. They'll be like, they just want the anesthesia. Some people. I have a buddy who's addicted to. Um, he was addicted to uh, inoculations, and he's breaking into Walgreens and doing all the damn uh, whatever it is. The COVID. In the I don't know if it was COVID. It was before this, so he was just doing flu shots, you know. But that's you know people get people get. People get into certain things, you know, but um, anyway, I don't even know why I told you that exactly, but um, what I'm trying to tell you right now is just that, okay, so yeah, so were you able to see stuff whenever you were working in, in, as an anesthesiologist? Were you able to see some of that, or was it more like that you got a, a, a stronger idea to work with ketamine like, yeah. and, and understand it later on? What I noticed was that when we used it, and we didn't use it a lot, I mean, you just give them it as part of anesthesia, they did better. So everything seemed to work better. They just sort of seemed more functional. They had what we saw was they just they they felt better. They they came out of it better. They they got up. They got around, and um, and that was sort of how the ball got rolling on why is this happening? And then you know then they started figuring out that hey this is actually doing something in the brain for real, not just some accident. And then they started experimenting not experimenting, but they started, you know, using it in a more of a clinical sense for people who are really struggling. Because before ketamine, the, really the only thing that they had was um, ECT, you know, putting electricity through your head. Right. And I have taken care of a lot of patients with that, and they did not like that. And I can see why. So what, did you ever have to do that to people? I did, actually. Um, not, not as... I'm not even familiar with that. Yeah, I, I did it when I was an anesthesia uh, resident um, about a decade ago. They'd, they'd bring us a bunch of patients from the uh, psychiatric hospital, and they'd line them up, and we put them to sleep, and the psychiatrist would shock their heads. And we were, like, wide-eyed and, like, is this real? And uh, I guess it helped. 
So you would put them to sleep first? Yeah, just very briefly. So you with, just with a like propofol or something. Okay. So you just you would just make them unconscious just for a few minutes. And I remember this 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 psychiatrist, she had like this head of hair that was like huge and it was like gray and kind of like uh, back to the future style. Yeah. And uh and she would she would put these probes on this guy on these guys' heads and like and and you know, we're kids and we're just like okay. Wow, and zap them decently? Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Oh, yeah! Yeah, because we had to paralyze them because when you when All you right. shocked them, they'd be like. And what was supposed to be happening? So my understanding that seems is kind of bootleg, you know. My understanding is it actually helps a lot of people, um, but it is not readily accessible. So we were doing this in a hospital in a recovery room with an anesthesia team um, in sort of the critical care area of the hospital. So that's not something that is accessible to. 99 percent of the population right any given day and and so that's sort of the problem so 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 this uh, electroconvulsive therapy this uh in which small electric currents are passed through the brain triggering a brief seizure changes in the brain chemistry quickly reverse symptoms of certain mental health conditions so this was this was almost this was kind of like a ketamine this is ketamine's kind of like that Okay. No, that, um, this is what they were doing early on. This was the only alternative. Okay, so you go to provide what? Uh, relief from depression. Okay, I see what you're saying. Because they still have a therapy. I have friends that go and get electrocuted a little bit every day. Yeah, yeah. So, so that is sort of like the. Um, oh yeah, there's a good one. See that guy right there on the left. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, he's going deep. Yeah, baby. that's what they did. Oh, he's got and a candle in his mouth. That dude's. That's that's so when he bites down from the electricity, he doesn't break his teeth. Oh my god. Yeah. Right. You know. Wow. So it's hard. That's Frankenstein. It's huh? hard to get a lot of people to sign up for that because, I mean, you Google it and you, you see that and you're like, no, I'll pass. Yeah, they're grilling that brother up, man. Unfortunately, that's pretty heavy. It seems like to me. Um. So. So so how did they evolve out of this? So this isn't really practiced readily anymore. It wasn't easy. You said there was you had to have a lot of people on site to do it. So ECT um, is still used in limited form today. The the problem with it is it's a pretty big deal to do. And so you don't have doctors offices doing ECT. These are special circumstances usually with patients who have profound problems. Usually patients who are in uh, inpatient psychiatric hospitals. Okay, These wow. are not people who are out walking, trying to hold jobs. So this is a, a different level, d- different level. You know, people who come and seek care for depression, they, they, you know, get talked to by their doctor or their provider and they get, you know, put on a medication or something and they, they go to a therapist and they try and work through that. And usually at some point, um, some people sort of, hit the wall with that um, not everybody but a lot of people are hitting the wall with it and what they do is with ect uh no with just just going to um so almost no one gets referred for ect yeah that's i mean because that seems like yeah so you're saying that's more like in psych wards and stuff like that like Correct. bottom of the barrel really they're trying to jump start i mean that looks like the damn lord's jumper cable really, it is you know it's, what I'm it's, saying? it's it literally is it's like you're, you're trying to jump off the brain wow trying to get it hit to fire again yeah and so that's like people who are like, you know, in in hospitals, mostly people who are not holding down jobs, people who are not having relationships because they can't. Okay. 
Right. Um, okay. So 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 the rest of people who are struggling, you know, they go to their doctor, they get put on antidepressants, they go to a lot of therapy. Right. That's me. That's been me. I'm I'm an example of that. Yeah. Yeah. And so so you're you're sort of chugging along and and you're existing, but you're not really, you know, if you look at like the road of life, you want to be on the middle of it and you want to be comfortably cruising down it, you know. And these are the people who they, they're like on the shoulder or they fall off into the, they go off and on the side of their shoulder and they, they have a hard time pulling themselves back up. Mm. And it's because they're the, the medicines, they help, but they don't necessarily get people to a place of well-being that they're seeking. Mm. You know, there's, there's existing and then there's like really living. Right. Yeah, I, I think I can definitely test testament to that. Yeah, I kind of feel like, like I don't understand. One of the reasons I went to get the ketamine therapy is because I didn't know why I'm still on antidepressants. It's like one of the weirdest medicines that, you know, I was having a tough time when I was like 20 and I went in, they put it on, they put me on it or I agreed to be on it. You know, I, I mean, I took part in it and, and then now 20 years later, I'm still on it. So it's kind of like. Like if you broke your leg, you wouldn't have a cast on forever, probably. So some of that to me is like, how, what's going on here? Like, is this something I need to be on forever? So that's one of the reasons that I went in probably to check it out, you know. And you know, it's the the work that is being done in this is is amazing. I mean, the, there are some very smart people who sort of helped shape this sort of treatment path and. The way I, I look at it um, is I, I look at people who come to me and they have all these symptoms. They either they're depressed, they're anxious, they can't sleep, um, they're they have like attention problems, they, they, they zone out because they can't zone in. Um, then you have people who are like trying to kill themselves, um, or they're addicted to things. And what it really is is somewhere within them they have a lot of pain. Okay. They have a lot of distress something is is primarily wrong and that is not going away with the antidepressants they're just more like a band-aid to it they're covering the symptom as opposed to addressing the symptom right so the driver is usually pain that is from somewhere in that person's past that they have not been able to truly grieve over and feel like sort of reconnected to themselves and and as you probably experience to some degree when you went into the ketamine room you could see your pain you could see around in yourself and you could kind of go places those those firewalls you could kind of look in places that you couldn't look in before because you had the capacity to mm. you were sort of protected by the ketamine so you could look around corners in your mind and see oh yeah that's there you know, I wish I'd have had a better, I was in there with a therapist and I, I think they were just more of like there if I had an issue. Um, I sometimes wish that somebody would have been like prodding me more or telling me how to, it's almost like when you go snorkeling, that's what it kind of felt like a little bit. <laughs> it was like, I'm looking at a lot was going on. You know, if I felt like I'm a roller, I'm on a roller coaster, I felt like the world is kind of, I felt like I was on Space Mountain sometimes with my eyes closed, you know, just kind of like moving through like. Did you have the round sh shapes or the square shapes? I mean, I, th I mean, 
I think there was a turf war going on because there was a lot of there was some real I think it was a lot of shapes out there you know it was definitely like somebody was um I mean, I, I remember one time th yell, literally yelling out that I was a cryptocurrency. I thought I was <laughs> – like, I went – it got pretty gnarly, you know? Like, it got pretty gnarly. Like, I remember one time thinking, there's no way I'm going to end up back in my chair in this therapist's office. I don't know how I'm going to get there from yeah. where I am. Yeah, I had, I've and had so, some fun, you know. So, that kind of stuff was kind of exciting. And I think sometimes I got too caught looking at the the the, the experience – and not using the experience. Right. So that's why I wish that there had been more, before I went in to get it, that I had had more of an understanding of how to navigate the universe a little bit and how to use the experience. Yeah. Um, uh, that, because that I, that I didn't have. That That's sort of a, um, so we're learning as we go. Right. And so what, and this, this is relatively recent, um, ketamine-assisted psychotherapy. So what is it? And, and that's exactly what we're talking about is we know ketamine helps. We know it works. Do we know exactly how it works? People are debating it because you have competing interests. You have competing ideologies. But we know that people feel better. Now, what we want to try and do is make that a more durable state. Not you come in and get your ketamine, you feel good for a couple of days, and then you, you come back a, a month later and you get more ketamine because – that's going to present a societal problem in time. If you're if you're always on ketamine, you know we've kind of done the opiate thing. So that that's one thing I, that is we don't want to do because you right. have some places that are like giving you to go home with, and that is sort of like um, you can do a lot more with ketamine assisted psychotherapy. You can use that place you're in to visit the pain that has brought you to this distressed state. Yeah, there was a moment, I remember, there was a moment where I got to see my dad, be around my dad, right? And I'd never, my dad died when I was like 16 and he was really older, man. He, he was 86 when he passed away and, and I was 16. So he was older when I was born. He was an adult, you know? He was senior citizen. But um, I got to have like this experience around him and it was like a real, like it felt like I was around him. And I got to let him, I, I got to, you know, I felt like my dad never knew how much I loved him. I felt like I had just never gotten to an age where I could tell him that yeah. I loved him, you know. And I didn't realize how much that was kind of haunting me, I think, somewhere inside of me, you know, like. Um, yeah, exactly. I just never knew, like, that that was such a big thing going on underneath me somewhere. And, uh, and I literally got to have a moment or a little bit a couple moments with him in a emotional state kind of it felt like anyway to me it felt very real to me that i was letting him know uh how much i loved him you know? yeah and that and that's priceless because there's no there was no other way to do that i mean there may there may have been but i i hadn't found that yet yeah that that is like core to what um ketamine psychotherapy gives people access to it's like those little gaps those little holes in our heart that that happen to us when we're young shape a lot of our life and so to be able to reach back in time and and find yourself then and there and that that sort of that grief pain of separation that you you didn't get to have with him you could connect to yourself and and sort of complete almost in a way like the grieving process so you could release 
that tension from yourself. Yeah. That 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 distress that's that's like that's in there and it's always in there and it's it, you don't know how to get it out and you're pushing through life and a couple of decades go by and you're like I'm still haunted by things and some people are not able to even see some of those things because I, I've taken care of people I mean I've taken care of some pretty funny people you know like I have trees on my in my room where I do it and they're like sitting there and they're you know <laughs> giggling and and then you know they're like oh that tree just got up and ran out of here and i'm like okay and but then some of them start singing for me and then some people start like trying to do yoga poses in their chair really and i'm like i'm like hey, you can't quite do that right now and, right and, and they you know it uh, no i mean it's, it's it gets a it's, little wild well i remember even being a child i remember getting something was wrong with my penis when i was young and they had to like like I had like a small urine hole or whatever. I mean, I could pee probably 11 feet. You know what I'm saying? Like I could really pee. And it was, people were like, oh, he's magic and stuff. People, you know, small town people think you're, you know, with a rival church or something, you know, all kind of shit. But um, so anyway, yeah, they said they had to cut the hole larger on my urethra, I think it's yeah, called. urethra. So I remember we went in and they put me under anesthesia. And when I came out, I asked where all the big black women are at. And I remember the doctor telling my mom that, like, we thought it was just the craziest thing. And my mom had said that before, when I was even younger, I'd had a surgery and I had a large, a big black nurse was my nurse, was the nurse. So I wonder if maybe there was just some moment that was like stuck in my head, like through those little kind of deals. But, um, but anyway, I, I, I don't know why I went off on this tangent, but, um, I guess I just wanted to know, like, yeah, I guess is there what's happening during the experience when somebody gets the ketamine? What's happening? So the way the way I do it is I, I put a IV in them so I can like turn it up and turn it down so you can slow down if they start getting overwhelmed. OK, because sometimes people you can, and you can just see it, you know, uh, they're, they're like because it's like there are lots coming at them and, and I'm sitting there and, and you they tend to start having like their blood pressure and their heart rate go up because they're getting like they're seeing stuff and, and okay so you want to kind of try to minimize that you want to make it constructive yet um uh sufficient to like have the experience it can't be so low that you're like i didn't feel anything right but you don't want to like you know ruin them i mean not ruin them but you don't want to make it so overwhelming it's no longer useful right i see what you're saying yeah so you want to kind of have a find a balance and um yeah that's what the, the one i did the place that i went they 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 did it and then they kind of just it was a low dose until they kind of got to you to a level where they could where it seemed like it was manageable and effective i guess to communicate with the therapist yeah because what what i do is you know the way the research was done is you do six six infusions and I like to have them come in and I don't usually have somebody start ketamine right away. I usually want to talk to them because I want to know like their life narrative to some degree. And then you kind of get an idea where, where the boundaries are. Like you can tell, like I go through this thing where I'm like, okay, how was, um, you know, where'd you live? Where'd you move? How was that place? How was this place? Uh, how was first grade? How was second grade? And you keep going through it. And, things start popping up pretty fast and people don't realize what's in their head. And then they're like, Oh yeah, I forgot about that. And, but you can kind of tell, and this is not in ketamine. This is just sort of getting to know them mm -hmm. because you got to know what, what are you going to do with the ketamine experience? So I want to have like a roadmap. Right. And, 
And then as we do this, the first couple of sessions, you want to get their, their sort of like get everything chugging. You just want to get them into a better state of well-being so that their capacity to examine some of these long-standing things is um, available to them. Okay. You, know, you, you don't want them to not be able to, to sort of explore this. Um, you want them to be in fighting, good enough fighting shape that they're like, I can do this. Um, and we go through it. And I've had people who couldn't remember entire years of their lives. And these are smart, very successful people who, who have been, it's like something's been wrong their whole life. And, and you start going through it with them. And it keeps going back further and further and further. And it's sort of like the, the beginning of the flick of the wrist on that little thread of pain. And, and a lot of times these little firewalls conceal it. And then they have their ahas and they remember more and more and more. And I'm not telling them what to remember. I'm just listening. And so what are examples of some things? Right. And what are some examples of, so, so, well, what are some examples of things that people could remember kind of, if you can share um, that and that you don't have to be specific to that person, obviously. Right. Um, so I had a patient who, um, had a series of moves that were sort of stressful on, on him as a child. And, um, it's at one of the after one of the moves um he was um very seriously disciplined by his uh by his dad um and to such a degree that that it um he didn't remember it until we sort of toggled the switches around it and we started sort of gently like how is this location he was like that was warm that was nice how was this location where you moved to i didn't like it how is this house you lived in in this place? I don't remember. How is this house? I remember not being happy. So already we're pointing to narrowing it, narrowing it. Yeah. And he didn't remember in the ketamine session. And then later that night he did. And so then we came back around the next time and we talked about it and we sort of work into the, and you know, I, I, I approach this with, I guess the right word is, like a great deal of reverence. You know, these people are, are sharing with me their emotional pain and I'm helping or trying to help them connect to themselves so they can feel whole. Because all this, all this distress that people have in, in a way, it's like incomplete grieving. Yeah. And people can't cry that much. And so they, they sock it away. And, and what the ketamine does is it allows you an opportunity to kind of go back in places that you can't do awake. You just can't. Yeah. And I've seen that. I've seen patients, I start talking and I'm, you can tell they're like, they don't want to talk about it. You know, I had a, a lady who, who I took care of who um, I was the first person she told in 40 years that she was raped in high school. Mm. And she's, you know, she's in her 60s and her life has been tough. And, you know, so her life has been shaped by fear. Right. Yeah, I'm sure fear, um, probably feeling like she couldn't tell people things, shame. And uh, it shaped her relationships. So she was in, you know, not the best relationships because she was put in the state by this experience that had shaped her ability to interact with life. Right. And here we are 40 years later and, oh. and she's a wonderful lady. And, and I'm, it's, that's why, I mean, it's like, I, I feel, I, I, 
I approach it with a great deal of, I think the right word is reverence because it's it's not sad, but it is it is like a a very important, meaningful, and and tender thing to do. Mm. Um, yeah, hundred percent, man. Yeah, I feel sometimes like I'm trying to make rope out of like the tattered, the very frayed pieces of like of my youth, kind of right as I get older, you know. Um, and not very afraid. I don't want to, I'm not trying to have any self pity or something, but I feel like that that's what you try to, as you, as you get older, you're just still trying to make this rope or make a knot out of this, uh, make different knots out of rope that was kind of like ramshackly kind of tied yeah. to the beginning of the foundation at certain points. Yeah. You know? the, the underpinnings of, of wellness start early. Yeah. And, and usually, um, attachment feeling you know attachment injury is is no joke so most children and when i mean most say 99.999 percent of kids are loved by their parents okay but what happens is parents um can show this much love and the child actually needs more love than than they get and it's not that there's a malicious thing it's just there's a mismatch right and that, that mismatch creates this like this emptiness, the start of loss or grief or, or, or not being cared for. And depending on how it gets nudged in life, it starts showing up as, you know, how they choose, you know, relationships, how they try to navigate life. And, and if it's really bad, then they start having other things pop up and, and they get on medicine and it works or it doesn't. You know, medicines do work. So let's let's not say they don't work, but right. but they don't work great. Debt can often feel like an uphill battle. If you're carrying a credit card balance and you keep chipping at that little daddy and you keep chip chopping at it, but you can't really get a big chunk. You only chip chopping and not chunking. Well, Upstart can help you. Upstart is the easiest and fastest way to pay off your debt with a personal loan all online. Whether it's paying off credit cards, consolidating high interest debt, or funding personal expenses, over half a million people have used Upstart to get a simple, fixed monthly payment. Find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com slash Theo. That's upstart.com slash T-H-E-O. Don't forget to use our URL to let them know that we sent you. You're tired of the debt. You're tired of that packaged, uh, that, you know, that uncomfortable payment. Get it right. Get it light. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit income and certain other information provided in your loan application. Go to upstart.com slash Theo and see if they can help. Time to tighten up, and that's Mac Weldon. Mac Weldon will tighten you up. If you like to get a man in your pants, that's Mac Weldon. Premium Men's Essentials brand that believes in smart designs. I wear Mack Weldon underpants and I haven't tried any of their other accoutrements or body, you know, cloth body fixtures, but I really, I thoroughly enjoy their underpants. They hold me and make me feel good. And that's Mack Weldon from socks, shirts, hoodies, underwear, polos, and active shorts. Mack Weldon promises comfort and consistent fit. That's right. Mack Weldon has created a totally free loyalty program. Level one gets you free shipping for life. 
Once you reach level two by spending $200, Mack Weldon gives you 20% off every order for the next year. Trust me, you will want Mack Weldon throughout your body. It's great product. I enjoy it. I have it on right now. For 20% off your first order and to support the podcast, visit MacWeldon.com slash Theo and enter promo code Theo. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com slash Theo. That's right. 20% off your first order. MacWeldon.com slash Theo. Enter promo code Theo. Yeah, I notice, I start to notice that the behaviors that I feel like affected me when I was young are behaviors that I now exhibit you know, and ones that I like imitate, you know, yeah. towards others that kind of keep me in a, in a place that is comfortable, even though it's not the best place that I want to be in a lot of times, you yeah. know. The devil you know. Yeah, it's interesting, man. Um, so with the, when people go under the, under the, the solution, under the ketamine therapy, right? Right. So I remember like, I mean, I remember, like I would, yeah, I wish I'd have had, I think when I went and met with the therapist, we started the same day that I went. So I do wish that I'd have had a little bit more of a breadth of communication with them. Yeah. So I'd have probably had, just so that there was a better, so that we're like, okay, these are five points that we want to try and attack, you know, or, or, or meander around or things, you know? Yeah. Um, because sometimes I felt like, not that I was wasting my time, but that I was wasting the experience. And I may not have been, it could just be me being judgmental, but because um, I think it was helpful, but there were times where I felt like like I was just kind of swimming through some of the same waters without really knowing what we were looking for or trying to do. That That's sort of the... Um, but that may be okay. Maybe that's just what you do sometimes with it. Well, it, it, and, and that's why, you know, this is an on, ongoing um, evolution and care because ketamine-assisted psychotherapy really hasn't existed very long because you're right. People were like, okay, what are we doing with it? And then as we started to, you know, explore what we could do with it, we realized that, hey, we can do a lot more than we thought. When did it start? Ketamine-assisted psychotherapy? Yeah, or even just ketamine-assisted, like when did ketamine start? I mean, everybody always calls it a horse trank all the time, you know? Well, ketamine was originally, I think it was invented in, what, the 50s or 60s? And it is, it's an anesthesia medicine. So horse tranquilizer, anesthesia, it's, it is an, it's a dissociative anesthetic by definition. Okay. Okay. So you use it to put, help put people to sleep for operations or procedures. And is it found in nature or no, it's not? No, it's made. Um, no. Not that we know of. It could be out there. Do you think it could be or no? Probably not. Um, but yeah, there, there are other things that are sort of like. Mm, Synthesizing 62 by Professor. It was tested on animals, which provided promising results. It was used for testing on human prisoners in 64. There you go. <laughs> I, Lucky didn't, I, didn't, I didn't know that. Proved to act faster and reduce toxic behavior, which made it the preferable anesthetic choice over PCP. Damn. It's interesting. It's amazing how many drugs used to be just avail. Like, I remember I was working on, um, I was working in Mississippi on a farm for a while, and the man said that they used to buy ecstasy at the bar. They had it like in a jar on the bar and you could go buy it. You could buy a tab of ecstasy. Like before it was, I guess, illegalized, you know? Well, like there was a brief time where it was a legal drug you could buy. They, you know, prior to like, I think it was 1970, the LSD and all that psychedelic research was was actually going really strong. And what happened was, I think 
the government finally said enough because it started beginning it was recreating too much that was when you had sort of like the hippies and lsd and all that stuff and oh yeah and so when they shut it down they 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 shut down all the research too so it clobbered the the ability to investigate all these kind of interesting substances for real clinical aid you know use roll the ball forward you know 20 30 years and now now you actually have like um the government is is um very interested in in some of these therapies and and the real reason is the state of veteran health um you know there you have so many veterans that are struggling yeah and you know they have these these organizations that are trying to reach out to veterans but the suicide rate among veterans is is just really horrible wow i didn't even know that yeah i i saw a a metric a while ago it was like more combat veterans uh from afghanistan have killed themselves than have died in uh the line of fire wow so so you think about the they're that distressed and then they come back here and they just you know go back to working it doesn't work that way yeah and so the you know the government's funding research on this stuff because they got to figure out how to help people. It's, yeah, and it'll help save them money too if they can. Uh, it, it, uh, it is I mean, not to put it right there, but also yes, it is. But it, it's actually providing the 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 gas for helping actual therapies that work, as opposed to just um, throwing dollar bills at things. Yeah. So that's you know I'll take it. You know if we can help get serious about it. Yeah, you know? for sure. Um, and so, so those are types of people. So can people really use this therapy to get off of antidepressants and how does that work short answer is don't know um what what i have seen and and like i said this is sort of on the fly like this is this whole body of knowledge has grown a lot is is people who have um profound distressors in their life that are under addressed are going to have probably pressure to have symptoms so they're going to be in depressed states and if you can help people through something like ketamine assisted psychotherapy resolve those long-standing pains of emotion in them then it stands to reason that the odds of them finding a way forward are better does that make sense yeah it's sort of a wishy-washy statement but it's a, it's the same thing. It's like like I, you know at my place we sort of break down why people are depressed, and it's and you sort of break them into these categories um, where you have your 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 groups that's more like um, serotonin, um, and then you have your dopamine people. So I actually ask my patients, I'm like, what gets you high? I'm like, uh, what's booze do for you, or uh, what's uh, cocaine do for you, and uh, and or shopping or gambling or because you're trying to stratify them, like what what what's goosing them right 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 And so that helps you pick like your therapy because if you got a guy who can't stand cocaine or stimulants like that then it's probably he's probably needs more serotonin so right. you, you can sort of shape what you do for them to help them with that and you, you can mix it so it's all becoming like this basket of ketamine sits alongside um a lot of other tools and if you're using all of them together and you're helping this person who comes to you unpack what they're carrying and you give them better tools in their pack to go on, 
then the odds of them staying in, on the road are better. Right. And that's sort of like how like integrative psychiatry works now. It's like you don't just say, hey, here's your prescription, get out of my face. You actually sit down and you talk to them and find out why they're suffering. Yeah. Not, oh, you have depression. It's like, okay, where, what, what's your, you know, what's wrong? What hurts? When did it get started? Right. How's it shaped you? Can you talk about it? And what level of detail can you talk about it? And that's why, I mean, it's, it's a very, like almost a, it's a very intimate conversation. Yeah. You know, that's a great, that's a great word. Intimate. I feel, it felt really intimate, you know? Yeah. I remember, I mean, right when I started going there, I just started tears just like rolled out of my eyes, you know? Like, I don't even know what was going on really, you know? Yeah. I think it could have just been like, I mean, me, I'm always probably 30% sad, so who knows what it was, you know? But um, but I remember it just being pretty emotional right out of the gate. And the first day I was dehydrated, literally just from like crying, I think half of the whole session. Like, and some of it, I didn't even realize I was crying. Like, I didn't even really feel it because I was kind of also you get kind of you're kind of anesthetized in a way mm -hmm. so the main part of me that's still awake is kind of this kind of that all-knowing place inside of your head where you have ideas and stuff you know yeah like whenever you're thinking about something you envision something like that place you know i i have had an, uh, quite a few patients that and I, I tell them this i'm like hey you know they a lot of them tend to feel pretty quiet like they have like um all the the, the mental movie is sort of taking a break when they're when they're done for their session for the day and they kind of like I'm like yeah just roll with that don't do any homework just sort of like try to you know I, I try to keep them on zero um, and I and I say it is you know very possible that if you just start burst out into tears later tonight that's normal yeah that means like you're you've connected to something and that's like an overdue release and so uh, I remember I was talking to this this young lady and, and she was um she was upset she was like what am i crying i can't stop crying i was like i was like you're gonna hate me for saying this but this is very good yeah because she was just releasing all this things that, that she had packed up in her and and the next day she kind of like you know it's like after a good cry you like but she cried you know a big chunk of her life out in a night and yeah uh, yeah, that's, that's a great way to say it. I think it felt like that, like just a lot of stuff that was going on. You kind of got to like take the pressure valve off a little bit yeah. in some ways. Um, but yeah, I would like to have another experience with it in the future and be able to know going in, have more of a game plan going in so that I can. But then one of my issues sometimes is controlling things. So it's interesting. So I don't want to go in sometimes to that and try to con manipulate, you know, control the situation, you know. So, which might not even be possible under that. Um, it it kind of depends on your mindset on it. You know, I, I think what I try to do is I try to give people a lot of sort of neutralizing information so that they understand exactly what's, you know, the more you understand what's going on and why we're doing this, they sort of, their, their, their um, guard starts to come down because really, if you don't want it to work, it's not going to work. And, and so you want them to be like, okay, I understand why this is going to happen. And so one of the best things I like to do actually is, is find out what they can do with it. So I do this thing where I give my patients a, it's a, it's like a 
butcher paper. It's, you know, it comes off a ream, but it's actually graph paper, and I haven't put it up on the wall. And we do these five columns, and it's your age down the middle, and then where you lived, what your relationships were, what your activities were, and what your substances were. And you just sort of write it down from zero to today. And if they can do that, then you can kind of get a, they can sort of look at their life. And if they can't do that, that sort of shows me where we need to sort of use ketamine to examine some things that are like sort of like their no-go zones. And I got a number of guys who they can't finish it huh? because it's sort of like you can't finish it. And if you can't finish it, then, you know, I, I you know, I don't know how we're going to finish it in this context without it being emotionally brutal on you. Right. And that's what the ketamine allows is it takes the edge off looking at things that you can't look at oh wow yeah it was interesting like i I wonder if there were things where maybe my my being or whatever was just afraid to uh to unwind them right or just couldn't you know or couldn't find like the key the way into them sometimes it's so it's such a small opening into getting into like an old feeling or an old way i see that pop up all the time yeah it's pretty fascinating we got a question that came in right here from a young gentleman right here this seemed like a decent guy right here what up? I got a question for Dr. Pooler and for Theo. So I wanted to start off, uh, Dr. Pooler, what is the negative connotations with the ketamine therapy? And then what would be your argument against that? Um, Theo, what was your favorite thing about ketamine therapy versus regular therapy? Gang, gang. Gang, man. Um, that's a good question. What you got, doctor? Um, so the the negative connotations, I, I think the the societal thing is there's – sort of a societal sort of frown against like psychedelics in general mm-hmm. and you know it got started back probably with like the hippies and lsd and so you kind of get this blanket oh this is that psychedelic hippie trippy stuff and and it, so it, it can marginalize its actual utility right as a a real medical therapy and there's an organization um called maps that that is dedicated to doing high quality research to counterbalance that notion that this is like, you know, step into my van type stuff and, yeah. and, uh, and to make it legitimate and the proper studies and the proper funding from, you know, like the DOD and things like that, because they want it to be as legitimate as possible. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Almost you really have to mind, like, there has to be a group kind of monitoring that branding and how that really how it hits the public and stuff like that. It's a that. little wild westy right now. They, yeah. They've even said it in some of the publications because the, you know, all the ketamine right now, it's, it's technically off label the way the way everybody's using it. Now, a lot of medicines get used off label all the time. So um, is that a problem? No, but, but it, it needs to be looked at down the road because you know, it's like those Saturday Night Live skits in the '80s, where you know you go to your doctor and you get a, "Hey, doc, I got a, I got a, I got a, you know, my, my pinky hurts." You go, "Oh, here's a prescription for some weed." Oh yeah. You know, remember those skits that that were like that? And it's like you gotta you gotta be careful. You don't have the slippery slope because I get, I get um, mailings from places they want to ship me um like ketamine lozenges and stuff, and damn, that's that's not gonna, that's not gonna go well. Yeah, I don't. I, I I had six infusions, like you're talking about, like you like you mentioned. It's probably the pro, protocol, probably protocol, not protocol, but it's popular. The, it's the best. No, it's the best. That's the research. Okay, uh, that's the research. Um, that is what they 
ferreted out in the research was the most legitimate and best way to proceed is is what you did and after four i felt good after four the last two i felt a little it got a little griswoldy you know i felt like i was on a you know it felt like i was just on a kind of a gnarly vacation you know it's like i don't really know if i needed the last two or or maybe i did i don't know i just i think at that point i started to think i wish i had a better game plan going into this so i could use it to the best of my ability i didn't know if i was using it to the best of my ability the therapist was saying um and it was a great it was a great place and everything but he was saying that it worked it'll work kind of no matter what there is is um, there some truth to that that it'll work no matter what yes um so we know it works okay the question is is how long does it work right and and what the um sort of like the industry the professional side of this industry is trying to do is make this a a very serious one-time attempt to get as much utility out of it so that that the effect is very durable and that's why you got to right. do all the side work with it and that's why you want really really good uh, assisted psychotherapy because you can sort of unwind things that are still sort of in the background if you're if you're sort of poking around and and the more things you can resolve the more your heart can be at rest Mm. um the odds of you needing more of it are less and that's very desirable so you know like at my place um i've only had one patient ever need a booster Mm. and he was a he's a veteran and his there's some you know there's some confounders with that but but most people are are and i i don't let them go either i don't like when they come to me i i take them on and and we get to know them on the front end and we're following them on the back end and i'm taking care of all their other sort of issues i don't i don't like send them to places to you know you you come to me and i work with you and the idea is that we're here to get you into a better place of durable well-being we're not right. here to give you ketamine right it's not you're not like a sawmill you're doing actual boarding kind of you're yeah. actually bringing them on um what is the number one thing that a lot of uh veterans struggle with or what is what is the so some of that trauma you always hear about the there's, ptsd there's, there's two things actually that, okay. and, and it's actually interesting the way this is starting to pop up um so ptsd and actually uh concussions so tra- traumatic brain injuries. If you take a somebody who has been uh, in combat and has had ordnance exploding around them, and they've been taking those shockwaves to their head, even though they look fine, it's has an, a, a pretty serious depressive effect. Right. And it, it's it. I, I talked to a guy out in Colorado last week about this. They're they're trying to find ways to heal these guys because they tend to be like very sensitive to emotional dysregulation because you think about it, you take a fish bowl and you put you cook up like 30 30 bags of ramen okay and you, okay. And you put it in a fish bowl say, how big a bowl like like a goldfish bowl so it's like completely full of noodles right okay, okay say that's your brain and then you hit it with a bat the noodles are going to move so if you're taking concussions repeatedly it's going to scramble your noodle yeah and so those are nerve connections that that are responsible for your daily function and as those get ripped apart and try to heal they don't necessarily get it right all the time and so like people are they're 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 hurt in a way that's hard to address interesting 
Yeah, because it doesn't seem like we're meant to be batted around that much, you know? No, not at all. Um, so those are some of the most common things you see as far as veterans is like uh, stuff from concussion stuff. From- that's that's one. Okay. Uh, the other one is is frankly the the grossness of war. I mean, yeah, you see two of your buddies incinerated in front of you, and that gets on a record that won't come out of your head, and and that's all they can see. So then they get like super um, super sensitized. So so. They're stuck in this place in their mind where they're still driving down that road when that mm. car bomb went off. And so when they hear a door slam or something, that that's a neural circuit that got burned in in the strongest of ways. So they have this they have this nerve pathway that that's just seared into you. And so it's on alert because it's still there. And so your neighbor, boom, closes the door. And you're like, and or you hit the deck or you do those kind of things. And so that's one of the things that, you know, they're proposing um, that, that they use ketamine uh, to work with, you know, patients on. Why does trauma create such strong, like, neuropathways or, like, connection? Does that make sense? The And does it? It sounds like it must, right? It, it does because um, – so it's it's post-traumatic stress. What What happens is when something happens to you, you form – a temporary memory okay like what'd you eat for dinner last night you could probably tell me what it is um salad but but two years from now two years ago what'd you eat for dinner i have no idea yeah i don't know so intense experiences make different signals like right but i could tell you if i was in like a boat accident correct now ramp that up to about 11 and and we're Andrea Galen, yeah. Then it gets pretty deep. And then, then you can't forget about it because it's 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 sort of your 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 neurochemistry has decided that this needs to be a permanent reminder, probably from a more for safety, probably yeah, more of a like fight, flight, or flee type thing. And so, given where we are in the world today, so it's inflammation, kind of then. It, yeah. So those are, yeah, because it, that's the craziest thing about it is is. The way the immune system works with your mind is is phenomenal. Like you, you can even measure it now. Like you know how when you get the flu, you um you feel crummy, you don't want to get off the couch, food doesn't taste good, sex isn't interesting, all that stuff goes away, right? Imagine being like that, walking around, living life like that. Mm. That happens because your immune system knocks out your dopamine system. So you don't have access to your dopamine system because you're sick, because of your immune system, because you're supposed to be healing under a tree. But if you're walking around and you have your immune system activated, you begin to look like somebody who doesn't have access to the feel good. Wait, explain that to me again. Sorry, I got lost. So so your immune system, mm-hmm. when you're sick, takes your, your dopamine system offline. Oh, that's just what it does? That's what it does that on purpose so you can heal. Oh, because they don't want you trying to feel good because then you're not going to heal. Correct. Right. Got it. But if you're walking around. Oh, interesting. If you're walking around day in and day out, year in, year out, and your your immune system is slightly activated and your dopamine system is always offline, then life mm. is flat and feeling good is inaccessible to you Ah. and are you depressed or you just not have access to your dopamine system wow that's interesting yeah that's a great question and you can check that with um it's actually 
pretty straightforward to check now. Now you got to get a simple lab drawn to see if your immune system is activated. And that helps point therapy. So like what I do is when people come to me is I, I check some labs on them. I get to know them a little bit in, in ways that I do my thing. And so I kind of want to know where they're at. Amen. Yeah. So we can start shaping what comes next. And that's before we take them in the room because I look at it as I want, I want this to be as useful as possible. Right. And then so that when we get to the other side of it, we still are learning things. But like uh, I had a patient who he was done. Okay. But something else popped up in his mind because he was having this problem where on a regular basis, he would have panic attacks at mm -hmm. a certain time of day. Mm. Okay. Like clockwork. And I, I talked to him and I was like, what time of day did your dad get home when you were a kid? And he just stopped. Same time of day all his life. Wow. That's crazy. But man. he was able to see it then because before he couldn't even see it. Yeah. But now we could talk about it and resolve it. And so he was able to see it when he was under the, the therapy. After, afterwards. So we, ah. we were done. This popped up even later because he was saying, you know, I'm doing pretty good, but I still have this one thing that's popping up on me. And I said, well, what is it? And we talked about it. And I, I asked him and he's like, yeah. Yeah. What, um, what, did you have a question that came up, Sean? Sorry, let's get to that. Oh, actually, this is a comedian friend of mine, Shane Moss, um, who he is a psychonaut. So he's like a man who, he's a very funny man, and he also is a man who has experimented with different psychedelics and stuff yeah. over the years to have experiences just like an astronaut would with like outer space. Right. He's kind of done it with like inner space. So awesome to uh, have this from him. Theo, Shane Moss here, in case you can't recognize me. I uh, hear you're getting ketamine treatment. I think that's fantastic. Very, very worth exploring. See if it suits you. Psychedelics are not always the most linear uh, thing in the world compared to other medications or drugs or what have you. But mental health isn't a linear thing either and so i wish you the best of luck i hope it uh it shows some improvements thanks man um and my question for your guest is i'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about experiential versus chemical change rather than uh taking say an antidepressant every day and and altering your chemical imbalance or whatever a psychedelic journey is uh a lot more about using that temporary uh, chemical, uh, chemically induced change to have more kind of personal breakthroughs and insights. And those insights are kind of what leads to the personal growth, uh, more than some permanent chemical change that you're doing or, or a long-term change that you're doing to your mind. Oh yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Um, Thanks brother. So this is like a, a two headed animal here because you have like the the neurochemistry of what happens okay and then from there you have what you experience as a result of the neurochemistry and and he's he's he hit the nail on the head with that is is therapy like this allows you to have so you're, you're getting therapy or you're getting mood elevation from either therapists or from like a, a medication you're on regularly yeah well you have this thing where it's a, a called a uh, 
um, a rapid gain. So you're, you're cruising along, all of a sudden you have something that goes way up. You're like, oh man, I figured that out. And, and it goes like that, but it doesn't work like that. You actually have to go for a long time and you don't have those very often with therapy, okay? Right. So what, what ketamine does and psychedelics is it's like a lot of access to rapid insight for a prolonged period of time relative to, say, going to therapy for five years. Right. And it could be a couple hour, a couple minute actual portal. Is that what you mean? Kind of like that? Well, and that's where you talk about what happens is we know that ketamine helps nerves grow. So if you have nerves that are firing in a way that is causing you to have a depressed mood state or anxiety and you basically soak those in ketamine for a say a period of a couple of weeks with six infusions you can get some plasticity in how those nerves work okay. so you can change how those nerves are connected they grow a little bit they actually like they've seen it on the under microscopes these nerves actually grow little sprouts and they they can change and so you're enhancing your ability to change at a at like a microscopic level amen and that translates into like a change in perspective on things yeah sort of metaphysically i mean this is kind of like we're we're going into the into the the realm between electron microscopy and spirituality you know what i mean but but it it is so so if you look at it how a person experiences it is that they can see what they've experienced they can find things that they've experienced and connect to themselves more fully Mm. And if they can be a more full person and have less pain carried in them because they were able to have an emotional release by connecting to a loss from the past, then they're probably going to walk away from it feeling better about life globally. Mm. Yeah, you know, I think that's a good summation a little bit of just what I felt. I felt like there were new ways to connect. Kind of, and I couldn't describe it exactly, and I couldn't manage it. Um, but I felt like it was helpful. I felt like when I, when I knew more tricks and how to almost use the controller better, I would go back and play the game again. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense, it does. Um, so what's so what's uh, Shane is saying is that. So you're saying that so ketamine is more of like an experiential type of thing. It's both. Oh, so it's both. so so to a, to the person who's experiencing it, they're they're gaining um, sort of a they're gaining like this alternate or this this additional view of things. They're they're gaining insight. They're like they're up here and they can look around themselves more like like not like they're not in the game. Sort of like they're looking at the game. And from that, they can be like, you know, that really, that doesn't hurt as much as I thought. And they can see like, oh, I can, that, yeah, I never really got over that. That's been sort of haunting me. And I'm like, okay, I'm okay. And and so that's what it can provide. Now, the nice nudge is when you can have somebody like say, well, you remember you'd mentioned this and let's let's explore this a little bit and see how, those decisions sort of were pushed by emotional distress or pain 
and rolled the ball through this event and then you kind of so you try and sequence it through through life so you don't want to miss things right it's the gaps the Uh, gaps are the key yeah i could see that yeah i wish i yeah in hindsight i would go with like a timeline kind of a little bit of like more of a plan i like i like doing the school thing like yeah the grades you you know the, the one question i like to ask people is is when was the last time you felt whole Jesus. And then what was it that began to separate you from that feeling? Yeah, I don't even know, man. I, I, I probably was a damn a zygote. Yeah. And then you know? and then you go back to if they can't if they can't dial it back that far, you go back to like when they were like five, four, three. When did they feel love? Two, one blast off is when I probably felt it. Maybe I don't even know. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't I mean, I know you're not asking me, but it's just yeah, it's interesting for people to think that. The place I was at, the therapist hadn't done the experience. Does that matter if they've done it or not? Mm, I I don't know. Yeah. Um, Maybe it doesn't. It's kind of one of those things. It depends on, on where the therapist is. What, um, what made you care about this? How did you get into this whole universe? You know, I did anesthesia for quite some time. And, I, and you were a real doctor then. Yeah. Yeah, I have an MD. Um, and um, I saw ketamine work pretty well because I, I did anesthesia, right? Was it fun being an anesthesia? It was interesting. It was fun and it was crazy and it was, but it was, a, you know, I mean. Would you listen a, to music and stuff where you'd go in there? Nothing like that. Huh? You know, I mean, we had a, actually, we had a surgeon who, who would get noise complaints from the other ORs. Because he would listen to death metal all day and he would turn it up all the way. And so he <laughs> sort of had like a his own little crew because you kind of have to be like the right, be in the right mindscape to go in there and listen to Megadeth for 12 hours at, yeah. at you know, 80 dB all day long. Yeah, and, that's crazy. You're cracking up in a rib cage and you're hot, all hopped up. Well, the, on, uh, the surgeon's next door and the room's next door would yeah. complain. You know, it's like <laughs> being in a hotel. They'd be like, dude, yeah. tell them to knock it off. But- it was i mean it was it was it was crazy it, i mean it was it, it was good but it was it was like super busy super high intensity yeah um and, and you have to stay the whole time or you just hit them with that dose and you roll out it depends okay but the way our model was we had uh uh nurse anesthetists and and so we would we worked together with them and they would stay the whole time and i would i would come in and troubleshoot things and, and get the get the ball rolling and and you know we were at a place where we we took care of really sick people so it was um you know it was but you sort of acclimate to it and then you look around and you look at what you acclimated to and uh but but for me what what got me turned into the corner of this is is um sort of my understanding of suffering mm-hmm. has evolved a lot and um i had a brother and he died last year. He was injured as a child um, terribly. Um, and he never could get the help he needed. And so he he did a lot of drugs. He tried to take his own life several times. Oh, he, man. Sorry to hear that. He did all these things. And, and I was sitting there and... And he knew he was dying. He was in hospice. But I was, you know, looking at what was coming down the pipeline. I was like, you know, if if we can help people who've been traumatized, 
like it's sort of like for me it's like if this would have been around 20 years ago maybe i'd still have a brother ah because he he was sexually abused as a kid and oh. didn't ever tell anybody oh. nobody only reason we found out about it is because our our pastor was imprisoned after the fact by somebody else dang and so i couldn't figure out what was wrong with him his whole life and i i asked him one night and he goes yep and i was like Fuck. and but the damage was just like yeah how much that shapes somebody that's young that's man that's heartbreaking i'm sorry yeah, so, so. And I'm sorry for him. I'm sorry that, you know, it's heartbreaking to see, you know, I've been, you know, a lot of my family and it, being in recovery and struggling through those, you know, struggling through trauma and stuff like that, childhood trauma, not like that. Uh, but different types of trauma and stuff has been pretty prevalent in my family. And it's heartbreaking to see the effect that it has on people, you know? It, it, it was, you know, the, the last six months of his life, I, I finally got him to say, because he was like a, he was a, he was a crusty guy. Was he? Yeah, oh yeah. And uh, the last were you guys pretty close? Yeah. Um, oh, that's cool. And he knew he was he knew he was dying. He, he was drank, he drinking himself to death? Yeah, he did. And oh. He had the operations, and and he kind of stopped actually. But the problem was, is the damage was done, and and but like you know, one of the last times we we spoke, um, I was sitting with him in the hospital. He was on hospice, and and. For the last six months of his life, I got him to tell me that I told him I loved him every day, and he was like, "I love you too." And like, just for him to to be able to express emotion was priceless. Yeah. And then, you know, one of the last moments we spoke, I said, "I love you," and he said, "I love you, I love you too." And then he goes and he flips <laughs> me the bird, and I was like, "That's that's Mike." Yeah. And uh, and so it was like, you know, I he knew at least he was loved. Yeah. And and um, that was in. Um, it's important. Yeah, I think a lot of people's life, if they struggle with trauma, I think some of it is just yeah, thinking that people don't care, people that right. think it, unable to feel love. It's weird how a traumatic event can block off other things, you know? Yeah, the, and, he, he and, couldn't. He he didn't have the capacity, and he never. So he he was stuck, and he could never get out of it. And you, you kind of wonder or hope that if somebody else comes to me, and who's a little younger and hasn't burned themselves physically like like damage themselves enough that you can help them turn the corner yeah and get healing going in a way that they they can get back on the road of life and and that's sort of that's to me is a very rewarding way to interacting with life you know i can look over my shoulder and be like i am okay with what i'm doing i'm helping people find peace right yeah, it's, man, it's so fascinating how, like, if you can, if you don't feel loved or if something makes you feel so unloved or so damaged that then you, it's very hard to feel love after right. that. Because I think there's just receptors in you that just do not trust it mm -hmm. or just do not trust the world mm -hmm. almost in a weird way. And I don't even think you can access it sometimes. Like, that's the, that's the such hard thing is to be able to access why or what or how to change it to get the clay in your hands you yeah, know it yeah. feels like you just can't find it you know um it, it's so like it's fascinating the, to hear that there's opportunities that this could be a way where people can i'm i'm you believe it i believe it i do i really do because um i've seen it work wow. i've seen it work on a lot of people and it it's one of those things where it's it's like you get to see these people come to you and they're they're just broken and 
and the first time you hear them laugh and or smile and you're just like it, it it's it, it's i'm in the right place yeah that's fascinating man yeah i noticed after a couple of treatments i'd had an idea i was running one day and i just had like a good idea and i used to have good ideas all the time i mean i'm just i'm judging my own ideas but i thought they were pretty good but but i used to have ideas a lot and i just for like a year i just hadn't even gotten an idea like i've just been kind of living with the pieces of every day you know yeah. and it's been fine life has been fine i'm not I'm not complaining. I'm not asking for any pity. I'm just explaining where I'm at. But, but I hadn't found it, gotten anything new to come out of my brain, right. you know. And so I noticed that I was running by some turkeys somewhere at this park, and then I don't know. I just got like an idea that was like fun, and it made me laugh. It made me smile. I was like, oh man, what a gift! Like when something's able to just kind of travel through us and make us feel good, which is how we probably should be a lot of times, you know, yeah. is to be a conduit for joy to at least pass through. Right. Instead of being kind of a um, a place where something has put up a fence or something has put up like a firewall or, you know, different elements like you're saying. Yeah. Um, what are the what are what are some of the side effects that we honestly do not know about? Because just to be very honest and transparent with um, people who are considering this treatment. So there there's there's there are limitations like there are actual limitations like you, you can't really have problems with like psychotic type problems or schizophrenic type problems it, it doesn't see that it, it it's like it doesn't work that wouldn't be cool yeah no and if you have a if you have problems with seizures you really gotta look into that because it used to be that ketamine was an automatic no if you have a seizure disorder um and and depending on what's going on with that they're looking into it um but um the other things is like sometimes what you get is is um, patients actually um, vomit and and it happens and i can almost see it coming now it's almost like a the physical need to expel bad oh interesting so so like i've taken a couple patients very recently and they were super overwhelmed like way overwhelmed crushingly and and um and they they just started vomiting and I knew it was going to happen and it wasn't a problem, but they didn't understand it. And I was like, yep. It's like, you needed to get it out. Wow. It was like a, it was like a metaphysical expulsion of badness from them. Oh yeah. And, um, and so that it doesn't happen very often though. I can um, see that. I could really see that. Sometimes I think all types of things like that are a mole or something. You see somebody with a mole and you say, that's a bad, that's somebody, you know, that's a bad idea or something you had or that's a something you know that's something bad that happened to you you know or sometimes you see like someone like i'll feel sometimes like when i'm really going through therapy and it's going pretty good i'll get pretty close to this feeling like there's something in my throat that i never was able to say or like to talk about when i was young yeah or i was afraid to talk and so i can almost feel the mass whatever it's not you know it's all probably in my head but it feels very real it's you all know? those connections from your you know your your core yeah. emotional centers are, are they're, they're reaching out into everything. And, it, and, you know, if you think about a nerve connection, think of like a, a thread of hair from an experience to somewhere else in your brain. It's still there. It's just how, how often it lights up and, and it starts pushing on things. And, and that's, you know, like post-traumatic stress is the hair is the size of my, th you know, pinky. Yeah. And so it's, it's got domain over your operating system, so to speak. Yeah. 
And um, what's the question that came in for? Uh, do you have another question that came in, Sean? I do. I know we have one from a young. Uh, yeah, let's play this fellow right here. Theo, what is going on, my brother? I just got a question for Dr. Ketamine as he's in the house. Um, this is Sam from Sydney here, and you know, down in Sydney. We, we're team ketamine down here, you know, we got that special K on deck, I would say. Um, but my question for the doc is, is this an addictive substance and are they, are, will there be lasting effects from this kind of therapy? Um, because I can tell you from second hand right now, I got some friends that could argue there are some more long-term effects from this substance and it could be quite addictive, um. Some fellas getting banged yeah. out out there in Australia. Signing off, gang, gang. Gang, brother. Cheers, man. Yeah, what are some of those, what are some yeah. of the effects? So, it is addictive. Um, it is not that addictive, but I have talked to somebody who was completely addicted to ketamine. Wow. Now, the problem with ketamine um, is, is, it's unclear, but this is what the best sort of notion on what's going to happen to people is. If you're always taking a substance that causes neural growth and neural change. Well, keep that ball rolling and see what happens to your mind. So, so if you're always changing it and you're always growing it, your ability to be you is going to be called into question if you're always abusing it. It's wow. not like, you know, opiates, you can take opiates for 20 years and come out of it um, and still be your person. Ketamine is putting like, putting your brain in a grow box and you're trying to grow all these new sprouts and all these new connections so that you can connect in a healthier way to to traverse injuries from the past okay now we know this is happening at the microscopic level physically so if you keep doing that all day long for years where's what's going to end up remember that that bowl of ramen mm -hmm. you keep putting more ramen in there i don't know what's going to happen but i can probably reasonably predict that these people are not going to be the same wow and not in a good way that's why again you know the the research was a set of infusions in order to traverse something that is essentially beleaguering you in a way that's preventing you from having access to wellness mm. um long-term dosing of it i at a at a lower level i'm not sure if that is going to I, I don't do it. You don't prescribe it? No, I don't. Because yeah. I, I have seen a lot of things and I want it to be done in front of me. I want the, like, like the, that chap from earlier, you want the event to be very meaningful. You want the sequence of events to be very um, enlightening and very um, meaningful and connecting to yourself emotionally. You want, you want those six sessions to be sort of like a time of, of introspection and healing that's been brought to an immensely higher level because you're seeing ketamine a lot. You, I don't want that to be wasted. So I want to do it right from beginning, from before beginning to afterwards. But I don't want to be picking up that tool very regularly because, yeah. because I don't want to use that as the crutch because we, we've done that crutch with other substances in the past and it hasn't worked out so well. Yeah, it gets bad. It gets, and then people also have to make their own choices. But if there's some addictive nature to it, then yeah, it can be tricky. 
Um, and that's what I want to say. Like, I'm not telling anybody to go get this therapy or, or saying that this is, you know, I wanted to have an experience with it because um, I'm going to try to get off of antidepressants. Yeah. So uh, I'm working with my doctor now and try and like slowly wean myself off. Um, which is some, which is cool. The, the, the place that I went, the, there, they have like some follow through there with like trying to help me like do that and, and manage that. So I'm excited about that. And I'm still working with my regular therapist. Um, but yeah, I definitely wanted to have the experience just so I knew kind of what it was like, um, and yeah. what's possible. Um, you know, I love to kind of figure out how I'm thinking and feeling and why and stuff like that, you know? Um, so it's it's nice to kind of see if what things I can get get through and get away from and I I find that like anchors I can pull up kind I of I find that you know in in my practice about half of my patients don't get ketamine like we we you know it's sort of like why are you here and they're they're more like they don't know why they're there they're like they they want access to well being they want relief from distress that's what they really want right. But they come in with like diagnoses. And I'm like, well, let's talk about what you, what's really going on. And then, you know, we, we talk and we, we got to, you know, it's like, we got to get to know each other. It's not like I'm like, hey, yeah, here, get out. Um, and they may turn into ketamine patients once we find like hard stops, places that are, are you know, like I, I shared earlier, I uh, had that lady, she wasn't a ketamine patient. Okay. And as we got to know each other and I was sort of helping shape her therapy using other things, we, she felt comfortable sharing me with some pretty disturbing stuff. And then she shared some even more disturbing, and then she, she couldn't, she stopped. I was like, um, yeah, it's sort of like, let's, let's change gears because we're running into some very emotionally distressing things that she couldn't articulate at that point. Mm. And, in order to get through those, we, I wanted to protect her. So that's when we slid over into the, the ketamine room. And now she's she's about, she's in process and she's, you could just see the light in her eyes now. She's, you know, it's like, she, it's like, it's not just like, go get ketamine. It's like, why are you here? Right. And, and that's why we, we talk about, well, what's going on? And... Well, there was an experience. One, I had an experience at one point where I felt like I ended up like in a corner of the world, kind of. It was kind of like I felt like you ever been in like a video game and you get stuck somewhere on it and you can't even move. Like your guy gets stuck and yeah. you're just. I felt like I got stuck at like the edge of the universe, like where the universe, like we, like I finally found like the two walls of the universe, like the ends of it, and I got stuck like in the corner. And I don't know what was going on. Were, you, were just, you leaving the chair or coming back to the chair? I was on my way back to the chair. Okay. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, you know, because like, did you feel like you were like getting light in the chair and then like your fingers started to get all? And yeah, you, you know, I didn't even notice that. I just remember kind of talking in a conversation. And then next thing you know, I go on this ride. Yeah. And I'm not even talking that much anymore. I'm just kind of on this journey. People are... So I, I talk to my patients a lot, and they, some of them remember, some of them don't, but um, they, they come in different, they come in different like personalities. Like you can kind of, there's, I'm starting to get a, there's different types that come in there. Like I got my musicians, and they they start singing for me, and uh, you know they're belting it out or they're composing, right there in front of me, and I'm like this is cool. And then you know you got the guys who my my trees are running off the screen, and my one kid who tried to hop up and run out but he forgot he was on ketamine uh. and you can't move 
and Dang, uh, he, he, he didn't even get out of the chair you could just see it he was like oh no 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 and i was like it's okay man and uh that's crisped out man he was probably all crisped out yeah he he had some issues it gets i mean it's definitely gnarly i was i, I it didn't feel like i guess in some ways it felt like a drug it felt like an experience to me right you know um I felt like I was kind of grateful for the experience. I was grateful to be back from the experience whenever I got back from the like trip or whatever you kind of go on during it or whatever, like the visual, the experience, the out of body kind of experience. I felt grateful whenever I got back to my chair because there was moments where I was like, I am never, you know, I don't care. Yeah, I'll never, they'll never find me. Yeah, it's like I'm lost. Like, where am I in the world, in yeah, the universe? That will never find me. I was at like, I was in Atlanta. I was in Castlevania, that video game for when I was a kid. I was in some, I was on the back of someone's neck. I was, a, there was a lot. It was, I, a, I was sliding down stuff, a lot of like moving along huge, I don't know if it was like electronic land sides of walls. I had, a, anyway. I had a lady recently she could hear um i got the, like these pictures of a forest or in my one of my rooms and she could hear the forest wow and then she was like then she could hear a lawnmower like and i was like that's pretty cool you know because it was she was not disturbed she was just like oh yeah i can hear the forest and i was like that was a first yeah. like the auditories were were are not as common that's strong is there a reason why do we all need therapy now what's going on have we got are we weak people do you think are we uh, you know it's funny because i'll talk about therapy and stuff with my mother and she doesn't she doesn't not believe in it but she's just like you just keep moving on you know you keep going she's more of like you tough it out type of vibe and i come from more of like a well why well what's going on like that kind of type of vibe you know i think you, you know, think it's an American problem? Like, not problem, but do you think no, it's like a... I think it's a... There's like a... There's a couple of things. Resiliency, okay? People people don't bounce back um, um, very... As well as they th think they do. Um, and the other thing is, is like, how... Wh how old you are and how... Like, I'm sorry young and having problems happen to you when you're young is very problematic and because if you look at like say you're writing a program okay i got a coder here in nashville actually um you're writing a program okay the earliest code you're writing okay is sort of goes through everything okay so when you're when you're a child that's your earliest programming and so it tends to resonate through your life and if you're not being shaped with sort of like a good societal structure good parenting structure you know they, they talk about keeping people out of the system or once they're in the system the system doesn't work okay well how did they get in the system right so where do we where do we set the boundaries from the get-go you know they used to have tv shows like um leave it to beaver and things like that it was like sort of like showing you how people are supposed to behave mm -hmm. and and andy griffith show they were they were very like structured on this sort of false reality of how people are supposed to conduct themselves, but it was very civilized. It wasn't dysfunctional. It was based on like love, authority, respect, um, and things like that. And then as you sort of, everybody does their own thing now, well, they sort of do their own thing in everything. And so 
the 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 underpinnings of youth have sort of gotten more flexible but that also means that their emotions are also more flexible in all directions does that make sense mm, at the end part doesn't i don't know like i mean it, i mean i know it, it it probably should i just don't I, I, if i was different person i would understand it i bet like i the way i grew up is like you you do x y z right and you chug through right and and you everything was supposed to be fine but as as we've moved forward as a society like my parents and and a lot of people's parents they had jobs where they had pensions and they had they had more stability right and it's so less stable now, now now you have you have more flexibility but with more flexibility comes more uncertainty ah uh, yeah so so people are like more questions people are feeling less secure in the world in reality they're probably more secure right but they don't feel that way and like after 2020 you know 2020 is like a rubber band you know the the suicide rate actually came down okay well what's gonna happen right i don't know because i have people showing up in my office now that are like they're beginning to cope with what happened to them in 2020 and you know yeah that's why we're here yeah it's interesting man i mean i you know I had like during the pandemic, I had like five friends that overdosed and died like that just because yep. they couldn't get to recovery meetings. I think, I think it's, they didn't ever say that they're dead, but they, I, you know, I believe if they still had opportunity to get to meetings, which were closed, um, it would have just been helpful to some of them, you know, um, just to still have the ability to go. Like once you lose that connection, you start to isolate more than so much stuff happens. You get stuck in your own world. Um, and yeah, I think some of that too. I, I think we also are at a time where there's just so much technology now and we get such quick reflections of us that are like just out in the world that aren't that aren't like rooted in ourselves. Um, I think that that can be very unnerving to people. The, um, the you know, I, I share with patients, I'm like, you know, being, connect, being connected, the feeling of being connected, it's not the icing on the cake. It is the cake. And you see that. Um, we're we're an incredibly disconnected society you go into any city and nobody knows anybody yeah even though they're living next to a million people and if and and you can look at the the history of like earth you know you go to these blue zones where people live unusually long right okay you go to like okinawa costa rica um like i think it's sardinia croatia these these places are not terribly affluent but people are like really happy and they live a really long time and they're like why and, you know, a big chunk of it is they they have this thing with community. Like yeah. they're all connected. They're all part of, they're together. And so when you, what's the, the opposite end of that is everybody's alone. And when you're isolated, bad things happen. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that happens to our brain. Our brain is a is literally a piece of machinery that's has the ability to connect with other You have to. People. You have and to. it's like so when we take our brain away from that and we're not doing it, of course our brain's going to get sick. Yeah, you know it just makes sense. It's like a plant, you know. Um, yeah, I being, mean, it's not like a plant, but it's like something. Being connected is 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 crucial. Yeah, and you know, my our our family, um, my wife's grandparents are still with us. So, so they're you know in their nineties um, and. Um, and some of their brothers and sisters are still with us. And so last year, it was like 
awful because these are people we would see every week yeah and we i mean all the time we would see them they'd show up to like events and and then for like a year they disappeared yeah and like they'd stop and you'd wave at them because you were so afraid to you know because i worked i'm doing my thing and and i hadn't been vaccinated yet and so everybody's living in fear and everybody's isolating and you're just like this is awful and then you see that you see that uh you know that did you see that match.com commercial with the satan dates 2020 you know match made in hell uh-uh. it's the funniest thing i, I haven't seen but it, it, yet. it it's it's a it's a a great sort of representation of how bad last year was damn yeah i believe in satan though but i, I would like to see the commercial but i'll probably see it uh we can watch it later on um any other questions that came up Sean, there was one from a young lady that came up do you want to play that real quick and then we'll get you uh and then we can close it out. We've gone almost two hours, huh, Sean? Got an uh, hour and a half. Hour and a half. Okay, cool, cool. Hi there. My name is Courtney. Um, I actually have my first uh, ketamine therapy appointment scheduled for next month. And um, I've had some um, prep appointments, but I just wanted to get your point of view as to um, the potentials for how ketamine therapy can um, benefit people with um, complex post-traumatic stress syndrome. Um, I know there's a lot of information um, going around right now, and I am just really interested to hear uh, your thoughts on it. Thank you so much. Gang, gang. Thanks, Courtney. And we may have answered that, really, didn't we? Or did we not? Um, I, can, uh, I can answer it in, okay. a, in a way. Um, so ketamine therapy is... I think the a, a, a more genuine or, or, or credible way to to look at what ketamine therapy does is it allows you access to healing, to to reconnecting with yourself from seeing pain that you have in a different way, like at a, at a more like ethereal way. Right. So so a diagnosis um, is not really a description that is is what we're trying to do why the diagnosis is is a better way to look at what we're trying to approach and Mm -hmm. like i have people who come to me who've had very bad things happen to them and so so i want them to be able to reconnect to that part of them that's stuck in there Mm. and if and if that if that part of their emotional baggage that's sort of pinned to that moment if, if they can connect to it and grieve and get that that release that emotional release of connection then they can begin to feel better and it's not like we're checking off like oh, anxiety check ptsd check it's more like what's what's you know what why are you hurting so much mm. and and how does that show up in your life because you can take somebody who's struggling with something and somebody will have insomnia and you could take somebody who's struggling with something and they'll have depression and so it's like what what really is the distress what really is the root of their pain Mm. as opposed to like a diagnosis and it's more fundamental it gets back to what's wrong yeah you know as i'm hearing you say that i i i felt like sometimes when i'm in therapy it's hard sometimes it's like if my mood is isn't that great that day i won't even want to talk to my therapist i won't want to share with them sometimes i want to be like you know i want to be kind of i don't know sometimes i won't really be in the mood um sometimes i'll keep information from them because i'm scared to share it or because i don't feel comfortable 
Right. You know, but this kind of, I felt like this kind of takes away some of that. For me, anyway, it took away some of that, my own thoughts, my own bullshit, whatever I'm attaching to whatever's bothering me in my life. And let me kind of just see what was bothering me. Yeah. A little protection. Yeah. It just kind of like, it didn't even, it just, it felt like I was just there to get some help. It was like, it was almost yeah, like going in for like a deep, deep, deeper deal. Yeah. Your, your, all your normal defense mechanisms are, are sort of taking a break. Yeah. And you can be more genuine with your emotional state. And, and in that state, you can be like, what really hurts versus what have I convinced myself is my problem versus what is really bouncing around in the back that I don't want to look at. And, and it's just, it's, it's a, yeah, it's a, a much more like rich sort of conversation with yourself. Yeah. Yeah, man. It was, it was definitely, it was, it was really interesting. You know, I would like to get some more tools. So then I go, when I go back, what are some tools you think that I could use when I go back? Uh, to or, or what are, what are tools that someone can use when they go into their ketamine therapy after they've do, you know met with their therapist and stuff like that? What are things that they you feel like they can do to best get uh, the most effectiveness out of their experience? Well, so a couple of things are is kind of getting some information on where you are. So what I what I like is uh, I I want patients to get a couple of labs because I want some I want some pointers I want I want some data to uh, to show me where they are. So I get them, have them get a vitamin D. I have them get a high sensitivity CRP test. CRP is like a test for inflammation. I um, I do some um, brief questionnaires. So we have this little online thing. Uh, they're little, and and they get these health questionnaires. But it's like it generates a number. It's like how distressed are you? Okay. And then we start sending that to them every week or so. So we want to see what we're doing. We want to see the baselines. Where are we starting? Because what are we doing? And so we get some data on the front end and I get to know them on the front end. And then as you go into the ketamine, you sort of organize your, I, I think I mentioned that I got this big thing of paper and, and I want them to like, look at their life because that's how you sort of want to like, where, what are we doing? Where are we going with it? Where do we propose that your distress is sort of seated? Hmm. You know, w- what happened? Right. And, and so then you kind of know where to toggle it. And what can they do? If they are, if if the, the patient is sort of. Like how can they best help you and the medicine or the uh, therapist and the medicine? Uh, usually it's, it's um, just, I got to get to know them a little bit. So, so it's like, I gotta, I gotta know what brought them to me. Right. Like what really brought them to me as opposed to a diagnosis. I see. Is there a state that they can be in? Is there an attitude that they can have? Or is there? Yeah, absolutely. So, so we know now that um, a a predictor of failure is resistance or the inability to accept it. So, if you're it, basically, it's if if you're not willing to let go into it, it's not going to work that well. Okay. So we know this. It's actually a, a study popped up. Uh, I saw it a month ago. I can't remember what it was, but they actually have some predictors now, and, and the resistance to the process is is going to keep it from working for you. Okay. So if you're like, I don't want to do this. I'm not ready to let go. I would get yourself into a better headspace first, and that's why we like we want to get them into a better headspace going into it. Like Understood. I got to get them sleeping first. If you're not sleeping, you can't do anything. So first thing I do is get people sleeping. 
because then you can you got to be able to sleep to do anything. And so I, I try to get my patients sleeping first. Oh, you do? I mean, like when they come in. So like I, I usually see my patients for a couple of weeks right. at least before they come in. So I want to get them sleeping on a regular schedule. Oh, sleeping um, on a regular schedule. I thought you meant put them to sleep when they get there. No, 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 no. No, I'm sorry. Like, like so prep work is I want to get their sort of their life sort of moderated to some degree so that oh, the yeah. process is far more useful. Right. Unless they're in like really bad shape and then you just do it because it's, it's harm reduction. That's a different category. Yeah, my count, dude. I, I had to go to a comedy show one night after it, and that was pretty. <laughs> Jesus Christ. How'd it go? It was okay, man. I mean, it was pretty good, honestly, but it wasn't top notch. You know, I just felt a little glitchy. I had a, I was, I'm, you know, I felt like I was about two centimeters off of my regular skin and, 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 skeleton. I'm in this, uh, I'm in this, uh, fellowship of people out of, um, the Integrative Psychiatry Institute out of Boulder. And we had a little get together, like a Zoom uh, session. And there was uh, one of the psychiatrists, she had just gotten back from surgery on ketamine. And she was like talking to all of us. And <laughs> we were like, and it was it was fascinating. I mean, she was like fresh. And she had gotten like something done to her. And, and we're just sitting there watching this. And I was like, Wow. And she was having like insights about her relationship with her mother. Wow. And that went back like decades. And, and, you know, it's, it's, it's fascinating. I mean, you stick around, you just hang out in the, in the, in the areas where people are doing this. And you can really, you kind of get an idea of what this is doing to people. It's just the insights and the perceptions and the healing that, that are sort of swimming around in this whole thing. Um, it's not covered by a lot of insurances, right? Not yet. Not yet. So, so it depends on where you are. You know, where I am, not so much. Um, but uh, my understanding is, if you kind of like the further west you go, yeah, I can the see insurers that. are are you know more friendly to it. However, interestingly, because of 2020, mental health is actually getting um, much more. Um, it's, it's being considered much more important historically mm-hmm. in in sort of all the industries. And, and so that is good because, A, it's long overdue. And B, it means that people can really get access to kind of healing as opposed to limping. And, and uh, it's sort of like it's the hope of yeah. everybody who's in this is that when you have somebody who's been harmed in a way that they – are not able to interact with the world in a way that is peaceful. You want to do everything you can um, in a way that is safe and sort of research-based to get them on the road again. Yeah. Why not? Well, I'm sure that 30 years ago or whenever there was a conversation between two people about like uh, antidepressants that was just like this, possibly. You know, it's like you never know. Like something new is always coming along. New things are always coming along and – we're always evolving and stuff in different spaces. And yeah, I'm certainly curious. I love the idea of actually trying to find some healing as opposed to uh, getting a crutch every day, you right. know, because um, that starts to be ridiculous. When I think of that every day, I have to take a pill when I right when I get up, just that my mind has to even think about that instead of being able to be in this free space where it can just wake up. Yeah. Like it's kind of crazy to me. You know, it almost wonders how much of a hitch in my vibe is that overall just that my brain knows right when it gets up that i it has to remind me to go take a pill it's like it's kind of weird you know it's kind of feels very unhuman 
um, what what actually happens to your brain, to the parts in your brain during the ketamine therapy? Um, so what what happens? There's a bunch of there's actually two things that happen. Um, the receptors get tagged that are responsible for your like anxiousness and depressive symptoms. But the other cool little thing is, is there's a triggering cascade uh, from a, it's called BDNF. And what it is, is it helps your neurons like sort of change, like grow little sprouts and, and, and the synapses, the little ends can sort of become plastic and make, make changes to your, your nerves and they grow a little bit and you can actually see it. They've, they've, they've imaged this. You can, you can Google it and find pictures of, dendritic sprouting um, or dendritic spines that have been exposed to ketamine and so that's like actual like growth so if you think like if you're growing things in your head you know you can do something with it and that's that's yeah. like that that cyborg stuff like you could have a new garden well you and you slide an electrode in there and and all of a sudden you can like grow connections into different things and you know, you're going to have high def out the rear in no time on the back of your head. You have and, a backup camera. Uh, I mean, you think about it. I mean, we didn't have cell phones 20, you know, we didn't have an yeah. iPhone 20 years ago. So what, we're going to go to the moon um, every day in 10. I, I would bet we're going to be pretty augmented. Kids don't have any problem wearing electronic gear on their heads now. Yeah. So I don't know. I'll have, I'll have neurons growing onto a chip out my ears pretty soon. It'll be hey, be pretty freaky. Well, look, let me know how it goes. Yeah. Okay, I'll as call you. As, I'll call as, you. As long as you're the guinea pig first, man. <laughs> no. uh, I think that'll work out. Uh, Dr. Jason Puller, thank you so much for being here with us today, man. You bet. Thank we you. We really appreciate it, man. Now I'm just floating on the breeze And I feel I'm falling like these leaves I must be Oh, but when I reach that ground, I'll share this peace of mind I found. I can feel it in my bones, but it's gonna take a little time for me to set that parking brake and let myself unwind. Shine that light on. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Jonathan Kite, and welcome to Kite Club, a podcast where I'll be sharing thoughts on things like current events, stand-up stories, and seven ways to pleasure your partner. The answer may shock you. Sometimes I'll interview my friends. Sometimes I won't. And as always, I'll be joined by the voices in my head. You have three new voice messages. A lot of people are talking about Kite Club. I've been talking about Kite Club for so long, longer than anybody else. So great. Hi, sweetheart. 
here's the deal. Anyone who doesn't listen to Kite Club is a dodgy bloody wanker. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Hi, I'll take a quarter pounder with cheese and a McFlurry. I think Tom Hanks just butt-dialed me. Anyway, first rule of Kite Club is tell everyone about Kite Club. Second rule of Kite Club is tell everyone about Kite Club. Third rule, like and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts or watch us on YouTube, yeah? And yes, don't worry, my Brad Pitt impression will get better.